0: to Ontario Lab podcast for politics, public policy, and current affairs hosted by recovering political staff right here in Ontario. I'm Chris Martin.
1: I'm Sam Andrew.
0: And today we are talking about education again, from the largest school strike in Ontario's history to a pandemic shutdown and a shift of the entire education system to remote learning. It has been quite a trying year for Ontario's 2 million students, not to mention the parents, teachers, and educators that support them. To talk about what some of this means on the ground, I'm so pleased to welcome Liz Stewart to Pod. Liz is the president of the Ontario English Catholic Teachers Association, which represents 45,000 elementary and secondary teachers in the Catholic school system. Liz has been elected as president since 2017 and was previously an elementary teacher in New York Region, having taught pretty much all the grade levels from kindergarten to grade eight. Liz, welcome. How are you?
2: I'm good, thank you. How are
0: you? Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. You know, uh. <laughs> Still uh, doing our podcasts on Zoom uh, from the comfort of our uh, of our apartments. So we're, we're we're sad we can't have you uh, in studio, but maybe that's something we can arrange in the future.
2: Sure, sounds good. Sounds good.
0: So before diving in, I'll note that OECTA was the first teachers' union to reach a deal with the Ontario government and recently ratified its three year collective agreement. Uh, the deal provides one percent. Salary increases will allow the union to continue fighting the constitutionality of that cap in the court. Uh, it also includes $33 million to support additional teacher positions for high-need students, as well as modifications to both the hiring process for new teachers and the government's mandate e-learning plans. So I want to start maybe first at a high level with your overall reaction to how this round of bargaining went and your reflections on where you ended up.
2: Well, that could take quite some time. Um, <laughs> this round of bargaining was, let, let's say it was different. It, it had been different right from the very beginning. Basically, I mean, we knew we were going to be in for rocky times when there was a change in government. We were pretty confident that it was not going to be smooth sailing. Um, but we, we were really taken by surprise by the route that the government chose to take because, you know, we have been pretty open from the start about, look, you know, we get there's going to be difficulties, but let's try and have conversations so, you know, we can move things forward. But, you know, they launched this consultation piece and, and we were invited uh, to a meeting in January, I guess, of of 2019. Um where the government wanted to do this consultation, they rolled it out in front of us. And you know, certainly from our perspective, we said, but this is all bargaining. Like these are these are bargaining pieces and they don't belong in a consultation. They belong at a bargaining table. And that was our response. But I mean we we gave them a response. But you know, we felt very strongly that this was bargaining and it was being done in a in a way that really disturbed us. So you know, we, we had early indications things were not going to be going quite as smoothly as we had hoped. And then it just, I guess it went downhill from there, is the best way to say it. You know, with the government making its announcement in May around uh, 2019, around the fact that, you know, they were going to be increasing class sizes, they were going to be changing the fair hiring process that had been put in place. And we, we were pretty confident that no one had said that was the way they wanted things to go and that no one had given that kind of input. So it was a bad place to start from and it didn't get much better.
1: Maybe picking up on perhaps the most contentious piece of that, which was the high school class size, the government announced their intention to move the average from 22 to 28. And then in the end, in this collective agreement that you've now ratified, you agreed to an increase from 22 to 23, which as the minister describes is effectively the same as the this school year, the 2019-20 school year, So, um, which was the first a year of their plan, f- planned phased in to 28. So maybe could I, we get your reactions to, A, is it effectively the same, like that t- talking point that the minister uses, and what are you hearing from teachers about how 23 to 1 is going?
2: Well, I mean, is it effectively the same? In some locations, yes. In others, no. Some boards had already moved way beyond that. So some of our board averages were already, you know, 24 points something, right, to 1. And it really depended on the rate of attrition within a particular board because of the way the averages work. Right. So in some areas, they'll actually see some hiring. Um, In other areas, it it may remain pretty static. Um, But I think in the vast majority of the boards, you'll you'll see actually a little bit of um, lowering of class sizes. It won't be significant. Um, And I think, you know, from our perspective, uh, when, when we began this journey at the 28 to 1, um, it was it was a heck of a hill to try and climb. Um, and you reach a point in bargaining where you make decisions around, at the end of all this, do we want to be trying to, to dig out from a canyon or from a pothole? So, you know, is 23 to 1 ideal? Absolutely not. You know, we strongly believe that, you know, we needed to go back to 22 to 1. And in fact, needed additional support on top of that, and um, given you know all of the needs that we see within our schools. But we also understood that you know we had pushed and got as far as we felt we could. And you know, we, we really wanted to try and mitigate the damage that was being done. And we were looking at staffing coming in place for the following year, which you know, again would have greatly impacted. School. So I, I think, you know, we made a series of decisions um, that we believe were in the best interest of our students and our members. Not ideal. And, and we've never tried to say it was ideal because, you know, ideally we would like to have been back where we started. But, you know, certainly in a far better place than we were when we
0: began that journey. And one of the things I just wanna make sure our, our, our listeners under, understand is um, last night when I was uh, preparing for this interview, we, uh, I took a look at the um, GSN memo that was sent out uh, in late April of, uh, or May of last year that announced the class size. And um, what a lot of folks might not know about the education funding formula is that there's so many elements of it that connect to the funded average class size. The move from you know, potentially at 28 to, you know, most of the damage being stimied has effects that go beyond just the, the you know, the number of kids in a classroom, although that is, you know, uh, a really key, uh, key element of the formula. Uh, moving maybe from class size to uh, the other major issue that like government um, tried putting in was the four mandatory online courses. Uh, In the end, you got commitments for only two courses that would be taught by our members and that teachers could exempt from the mandatory requirements based on learning needs or other factors. So maybe to borrow the government's great use of the word effective, this seems effectively not mandatory. Um, But I'm curious if you have Concerns about how this will roll out, um, how do you see it rolling out? Rereading the government's process, it seems a bit like they're trying to frame it as an onerous process, um, like, you know, I, you know, it will need to be special circumstances. Um, you know, h- how do you see online learning uh, rolling out now that the government is sort of trumpeting it as a victory?
2: Well, I mean, I, I think, you know, both sides will look at that and say, no, we think we did okay on that. I mean... Mandatory e-learners is is patently ridiculous. And I think anyone who understands education knows that. And certainly anyone that understands how how kids learn, right, the the pedagogy of the classroom and and what takes place in classrooms and that important connection, or quite frankly, anyone who has an adolescent in their home would understand that e-learn is not a good thing because you know, if you have an adolescent, you know, I can't even rely on them to empty the dishwasher when I tell them five times to do it and give them a certain time frame. There's no way they're going to go online and do an assignment that they've been told to do without somebody stood behind them saying, this needs to happen and needs to happen now. So, I mean, I, I think there are a whole variety of pieces around the e learn that, you know, anyone connected with education said no, this is for some students, it works but for the vast majority, it doesn't. Um, so when the government first started on that whole mandatory piece, you know, we, we pushed back pretty hard. Um, and then we got to this, the, the piece we now have, which is, you know it's down to two, um, and there's an opt out. And uh, the way it's structured for us is that will be done, um, we're gonna work with our trustees association on on how that will get rolled out so the, what the form will look like and um, the parents like the opt-out at the parental end is simply the parents can say I don't want my child to do ELO. and check off a box and it's done there has to be a connection between the school so a, a contact from school will call them and say are you sure you want to opt out And if a parent says, yes, I'm sure, then the matter is closed. So, you know, we we tried to make it as as easy as we could. Um, But we also said but there has to be a way for the teachers to give input as well um, and to offer that guidance. Uh, Because we know, you know, we we have students whose parents might not be familiar with the program, uh, might not understand what this means. And we need the ability to reach out to those parents and say, I'm not sure this is the right path and and you want your child doing e-learn at this time because it doesn't meet their learning needs, whatever that may be um, within a classroom. And and teachers are the best people to be able to say that because they know those students and they work Mm -hmm. with those students. Um, So, you know, it's sort of a a double piece. The parent can do a simple opt-out. Or the school can recommend exemption. So effectively, you're absolutely effectively, it's not mandatory. At any time, as soon as you say there's an opt-out, it is no longer mandatory. So I appreciate the government likes to keep talking about it's mandatory e learning, but it's not mandatory anymore because as soon as you can opt out, it's no longer a mandatory course. Mm-hmm.
0: And if I'm understanding that correctly, it's. Um, not that you 'll need to say, "I would like to opt out because my child has special needs, or because um, I don't have a computer at home, which I think are the two instances. It could be i don't think that online learning is the best course of education for my my kid, or a teacher could say, "Hey, this student will not succeed in online learning. Um, I don't recommend that you pursue this path for this this child."
2: Yeah, ultimately, the decision will be the parent. Yeah. So, you know, I can recommend that a student not do e but ultimately the parent's the one who, who has that power to do the opt-out. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It, it allows parents to say, no, I, I don't think my child should do this without having to jump through all of those hoops. Because the piece with E-Learn is it's not just about um, whether a student has special needs or has a particular uh, learning need, it's it's just about some kids just will don't have that independence at that mm. point in their life to do that. I mean, let's be honest, a lot of adults don't have the um, commitment to do online learning. We've all struggled with it, right? Like it's, it's a big commitment. And yeah. I think sometimes people think it's an easy way to do things, but as we're all experiencing now, it actually is not. <laughs>
1: So maybe switching gears to what seemed like the last major sticking point in this deal, which was um, the hiring process for new teachers, uh, known in the education system as Regulation 274, um, which prioritizes seniority in the hiring process. Um, For those not familiar, Owekta was, of course, the union that initially brought this regulation to life during the 2012 negotiations. And from what I understand was a response to uh, perceived nepotism in the hiring process uh, in uh, some Catholic boards. And so the changes this bargaining round include exempting one third of the new hires from those requirements uh, to hire from uh, the five teachers with the greatest seniority. Um, And so... You know, I think this was seemingly an issue that the public was maybe confused about, but it was certainly got, you know, quite a bit of traction in the, in the public. So um, maybe if you could walk us through what was your perspective on uh, this issue and and why did you agree to the changes that you did? I,
2: I think because we had uh, recognized that for for our own members, a change would be helpful because what what reg 274 did what the fair hiring did was it, it did in fact help bring an end um to to nepotism that was happening quite frankly all across the province um, and it was just a fact right like that that was taking place and that helped close that door i mean we had uh people who were trying to get permanent work um for five and six years within boards and if you had a board with some declining enrollment and you know, somebody's cousin was getting hired because they were somebody's cousin, um, meaning that somebody else was having to sit on that um, occasional teacher list for longer. Uh, that, that was patently unfair. So what happened was uh, the, the reg first came in uh, the fair hiring practice first came in and it actually we had it within our collective agreement as well. Um, but yes, the province brought in a regulation, but what that enabled uh, To have happen is people to to begin to be able to access permanent work who had not been able to access it previously. But then um, the additional wrinkle came that if I was a permanent teacher working in, and I'll I'll use you know Renfrew, and um, happened to have a spouse who was in the military and was transferred somewhere else within the province, so to Bruce Gray, for example, for me to leave my position. I was having to resign a permanent job and then go on a daily occasional list again and and hope and pray you could at some point apply for a permanent job. What the change in reg allows or what the change in our um, hiring practice allows for is for a teacher to say, uh, apply for a permanent position now who's already got a permanent job in another board and, and be eligible to apply so it allows for that mobility within our own membership which um, for us is important too so that I mean that was certainly one big aspect I I know what we were able to do which was different was work with our trustees association around uh, fair hiring and what their issues were and, and they wanted a little more flexibility we wanted to be able to offer that mobility piece for some of our members and and so we were able to find a path forward that enabled both sides to achieve goals that they both had so I mean that was why we we decided you know we'd be willing to work with them and try and find a path forward Mm -hmm. um, because we felt that was important it actually for us we were able to put something in place that we believed benefited our members I mean there were other little changes we were able to make as well that actually make it better on them,
0: this as well. And it's 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 an interesting one for me because the the it, it is kind of the one issue that the government like they tried to sort of make several things uh, play in the court of public opinion. But it, and this was this was this was certainly one of them. And in sort of like promoting this idea that the previous regulation was difficult for young teachers trying to get in. Do you think the new system is is, is better? Was there anything to the government's concern there? Uh, what do you sort of what do you sort of say to that?
2: No, I I know, and, and, you know, the the government very much has tried to paint this, you know, they talk about, you know, seniority over qualifications, which is patently absurd, right? I mean, even if I am one of the most senior that apply to a position, I have to be qualified for whatever position I'm applying for. Like, it's not like, you know, I'm a primary junior teacher and I could decide I was going to go teach, you know, grade 12 physics because I'm more senior, I get it, you know, that, that's just patently not true. Um, the reality is I would have to hold the requisite qualifications in order to apply for the position and mm. that the principal of the school would get to pick. It's not like the most senior got the position. They still had a pool to pick from. So, you know, there was sort of that um, painting of the picture that was that just, patently ridiculous um, and yeah. you know and they talked about you know merit and well you know why does somebody who just walked out of a faculty have more merit than somebody who may have actually been teaching in that particular you know, whatever position it was and have some experience because they've been doing occasional work So I guess, you know, that was the disconnect, and and certainly it's frustrating, but it's difficult to describe and explain to people, and and you're absolutely right, right? People jump on that, you know, they hear the word seniority and have this, you know, I don't know what picture they have in their heads, but somebody completely unqualified just because they've been around for 10 years gets to walk into a job, and that's absolutely not the way it ever works.
1: One of maybe the great ironies, uh, and I'm sure you folks take no pleasure in this, but maybe one of the great ironies of the province's push for online learning is that they now have it, not by choice, but uh, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, teachers across the province are now working from home and trying uh, to deliver remote learning uh, to their students, often online, though not exclusively. We wanted to, I guess, first hear how is this going? What What are you hearing
2: about this challenge? Uh, I think we'll start with it's a challenge Um, and usually my first line to anyone when I talk about this is we all just need to be kind right we need to be kind and we need to be patient because it is so very different and and it's not particular to Canada I happen to have a number of friends who who teach in the UK who I went to university with and you know I, I hear from them all the time we're all going through the same piece we're all trying to figure out how do you deliver um, meaningful learning opportunities to students remotely, especially some of our our younger students? Um, And how do you you address the fact that not all students um, have access or have people at home who can help and guide them? Um, So those are some of the gaps. And also, you know, I, I know there's a big push for this, you know, live learning, right? Like we should be doing this live. And, um, you know, one of the things we talk about is we have certainly advised our members to be very cautious and that they really might not want to go that route for a whole variety of reasons. And, you know, privacy certainly being one. And it's not just about, you know, our members and making sure they get to preserve their privacy, but it's also, you know, I, I, I've turned it this way. If I do a live lesson and I have 25 students in my, in my classroom, and say they all log on, which they probably won't, but say they do, so conceivably we've got, or any one of us has 25 sets of eyes looking in our homes, because if the cameras are activated, they can see what's happening. And you don't know who else is around them who can also see it, and can hear what's happening in your home. And I think most of us would be a little cautious about that because even in the most well-run households, you know, who knows what could be going on at any given time during the day within a household, especially if you've got other children running around. So, you know, that that's a caution I, I give as well. But also when you have parents working from home, um, you may have more than one child in that household. Even if everybody has their own device, which in many households is not the case, you certainly probably don't have the bandwidth for everybody to be working online at the same time. Um, and so, you know, that there'll be, I mean, we've experienced it, right? You get the glitches, you get the freezes, you get the so kids will be losing pieces. So what we've said is, you know, if if you video it and make it available what it enables is for for families and students to access it in a way that works for them, um, and at a time that works for them. And then if it does crash, they're okay, they can just go back to it later on. So, I mean, I I think, yes, there needs to be a a format or a way to communicate in some real time, but you also need to be able to have um, that uh, ability for people to, to work, it within their own schedules because, you know, all households don't run on the schedules that we might want them to run on. So what we're seeing across the provinces is so many different models. um, Boards that have very different platforms because they're not all using the same platform. Um, One of the things we certainly uh, raised with the ministry right at the very beginning of this is we needed to have some common expectation because the last thing anybody wanted is you know if you think there's you know, nearly two hundred thousand teachers across the province there's two hundred thousand people doing the wrong thing right like that's that's not necessarily a good thing either, right so yes, we need to make sure we we're, we're, we have that professional judgment for the teachers and how they're reaching out because they know their students um, but we also need to have some common expectations and some common framework and um, so that everybody understands what it is they're being required to do.
0: And when I look at what the ministry has rolled out so far, they, you know, I think first gave a and correct me if I'm wrong here. They first gave like a high level guidance. Basically said teachers and schools will be reaching out, be patient with them. This is a big adjustment. Um, you know, I actually thought a fairly uncharacteristically uh, flexible and supportive um, approach. Uh, in comparison to, you know, perhaps uh, what we've seen in the past. Um, and then a, uh, a sort of a dialing up of sort of a common framework, saying there's going to be a minimum number of contact hours per week. Is this sort of, um, uh, that when you say you're like looking for some guidance from the province and some standards, is this, is this an approach that you guys have been sort of supportive of, of a later, um And, you know, is it, uh, or, you know, are there things about it you would have wanted to change? And, you know, is it... Um, Uh, you know, where do do you see it going?
2: Oh, well, if I had a crystal ball, right? But I think, I mean, we certainly have been working with them um, and and there is a a work group. Um, Did they take all of our suggestions? No. You know, would we like to see things a little different? Yes. You know, um, especially, you know, announcements around reporting, for example. Um, You know, to say that, kids are going to get report cards the same as they always would for you know second semester is you know it's it's just not true like you just can't do it like it's it's not going to be possible um you know for example in in elementary I might need to I might have a strand that I haven't covered yet in you know uh, social studies well I'm not going to get through all of that so I can't report on it the way i normally would so i i think you know that there's a few pieces that i think need to happen I, you know and I, and I know we've been talking about this a fair amount right i think there needs to be some uh, expectations managed around what can and cannot occur and what should and shouldn't happen i think there needs to be some priorities and um, we all understand that our grade 12 students need to be a priority we need to find a way to ensure that that they get what they need to get and you know however we can make that happen understanding it's not going to be the same as if they were in a classroom and it's going to be almost like a blended learning model right so you know we know we need to put some focus there but for our younger students you know I think it, it's more about keeping that connection between home and school and keeping those learning opportunities flowing and less about you know, are we covering all of the curriculum that is being missed? And, and the reality is, no, we're not, right? That you're not going to be able to cover that curriculum. Um, you're not going to be able to, to teach all of the concepts that you would teach were you in a classroom. You'll be able to cover some, you'll be able to do some things, but it's not going to be the same because, you know, many students just don't learn that way. And they actually need to be in a classroom and need to be working with the, the teacher and need a variety of different opportunities that can't be given. So, you know, one of the things I know we've been talking about and trying to to get some clarity around is what is that going to look like? What, what messaging can we give so that people understand what it is they're going to get at the end of the year? And that, you know, it's probably not going to look like they've seen in the past Uh, and I think you know it's all about managing expectations and managing um, understanding what can actually come from all of this in the end Um, and also I think it's important and a, a really important piece that we're talking about is what happens when we return to school because if people think that kids are just going to walk through the door of a school one day and everything's going back to normal like that just can't happen either because you know if you think about you know grade one kids for example who you've been t- teaching and telling for the last you know, couple of months don't go near other people you need to you know you need physical distance and now we're going to put them in a classroom with 20 other people that might be some anxieties right like so, and then you've got a whole school full of, of students and quite frankly adults who may have some anxiety and how do we prepare students to learn because that's part of what we do in school as well it's not just delivering curriculum it's not just providing that education it's also making sure kids are ready to learn and able to learn and how do we make that environment possible and, and we're going to need some and the kids are going to need helps and supports in order to do that so that we can make them successful.
0: Excellent, well, I think that was uh, everything we had for today. So Liz, thank you so much for coming on Ontario Lad. We have loved having you and uh, congratulations on a really hard fought uh, round of bargaining.
2: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was was interesting.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It was interesting to follow. And that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for listening. I want to thank OECD President Liz Stewart for coming on the pod and uh, our friend Cheryl Holton for helping set this thing up. Uh, it was a great episode. I really loved this interview uh, and getting a teacher perspective on what is weirdly became a highly underreported story. Uh, and we think all owe the teachers a huge debt of gratitude for basically putting off some pretty horrendous cuts that we were facing. Um, so uh, had off to them we will be back next week with a podcast on how the emergency supports to COVID-19 are faring Grima and Alexi will bring you a episode like that we'll also be running through some news can't wait, we'll see you then